<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Tonight, we got them, Goldie the Sulk and JC. And it starts right now. Oh, welcome back to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. Yes, we do. We hate it a lot, but <laughs> luckily changed. we don't have to do it these days. No. Uh, uh, so, Goldie, we had dinner together last week. We had, uh, yeah. it's, I call it my John's dinner. I had dinner with myself and three Johns. Oh, wow. John, John Goldblatt, John Fogarty, who... Loves and listens to the podcast. Hello, folks. And John Viner, who is not asked to be a part of this podcast. <laughs> I thought we had a really nice time. We love Ja. We always go to Ja. Yeah. So, and and it was given the celebrity stamp of approval that night as we were right. entering the nearly empty restaurant at <laughs> 6.30 p.m. Yep. No less than one Conan O'Brien oh, held yeah. the door open for me. Did he yep. say hi? Do you guys know him? No, here's, I was an intern on the show and I'm very proud of myself because I didn't go up to him and go, hey, if you'd remember, I used to be an intern on the show because I know I have enough self-awareness to know I'm a bald skeleton. No one wants to hear I used to be their intern because then in their mind, they're going to go, I'm about to die. <laughs> first joke of the day. First joke of the day. By, I by hold the way, fire. By the way, Goldie, that yes. was the first door Conan's ever opened for you. <laughs> Damn, that was good. Very true. Was day, or anyone, really. Right. Uh, but <laughs> so, you know, he was making this big deal of opening it for me under the guise of like, I know I'm a celebrity opening it for you, but I didn't have to give it to him back where it's like, I had friends who write for the show, right? I was like, you know what? Right. Yep. I'm 50. Yeah. I'm 50. You know, or like, my dad went to medical school with your mom, which is true. Like, I could have I could have tried for a moment with him. Right. I don't need one. No, you know what? Don't. We're the same right now. We're both dudes with no job. And podcasts. <laughs> Two unemployed bums entering an empty restaurant. Anyway. It's funny, though. We we, we both, I, I don't know. I feel like we both sort of have like small axes to grind with him. I think yours is a little bigger. But yeah. I, I feel like we both have this interesting, all three of us actually have a very interesting relationship with Saturday Night Live, which we talk about on yeah. the podcast a lot, but Conan is so SNL adjacent. I mean, they're, they were oh, yeah. in the same building, just a couple floors apart. I think Conan started when we were just getting 
really interested in comedy as perhaps a career. And I think we saw it as like, hey, could could we maybe work there? Like that right. would be Oh, I awesome. loved the show was me too. How everyone our age talks about Letterman, that was Conan for me, actually. Yeah. That yeah. he yes. was the one I discovered like late at night, saw the weird sketches and was like, what is this? I feel like this is my secret. Only I know about this. Yep. <laughs> then I went to work there and I, I was know. disabused of the notion that it would be fun. It's always I know. like that. It's always We got like shut that. out. We got <laughs> shut out. Anyway, so, so that's the we have dinner. a lovely dinner. and uh, <laughs> That's it, right? And to your credit, the check comes and you generously agree to split it four ways. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not working. I can't I just be picking up every check. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting on that for a That was pretty good. For a week. Pretty good. So... <laughs> we have a great dinner though, and thank you yes. for organizing it. And it's you, you know these male friendships are very important. That great was to fun, see friends. Yep. So we exit the restaurant. I happen to look down. <laughs> I to look down at the ground, and I see Alex gnarled feet, his aged raven-like talons sticking out of a pair of flip-flops that's not even like ufos ufos whatever the, the, they're flip-flops they're not even like kind of low-key dress flip-flops it's like true religion made a flip-flop like they're so egregiously flip-flops yeah, they it's were just, medical grade yeah it's they're huge like barge shaped they're so big so rubbery and and I'm shocked because you went to private school. I know you were raised right I'm relatively. I'm rebelling. And and the, we go to a nice restaurant. And the, is it a statement about what you view as the quality of the companionship that night that you're like, uh. I don't have to respect these people. So not only am I not wearing shoes, I'm wearing flip-flops and I'm wearing them with no socks. Like had there been a sock, I would have said, you know, okay, I get it. We're older. You want to be comfortable. Maybe he has a bunion or something. But just <laughs> no socks, veiny, dry feet that are both like dry. shades of crimson and white and yellow. Yeah. Explain Chalky. yourself. I, well, first of all, I, I Andy Dufresne'd my way to the table because I was wearing the flip flops, obviously, at the beginning. But didn't how, notice. How often do you look at a man's shoes, really? No. So nobody noticed it on the way there. And then on the way out, yeah, it's funny. I did not think of it at all as something that I needed to hide or be ashamed of. And you quickly <laughs> changed my mind on that. You were all over it on the way out the door. And I will say that so my tall is like the UFOs should hire tall because she will tell everyone how UFOs changed her life with the because they're very supportive. Okay. So, I understand. I, so Do you need I, support when you're sitting at a table for two hours? <laughs> I did. With you three? Absolutely. <laughs> but here's, a, here's another thing, Goldie. I have a long history in flip-flops of showing my feet. I worked for at least a decade at Kilbourne and at Family Guy in flip-flops. I won the 2007 Family Guy ping pong championship <laughs> in flip flops, <laughs> defeating Joe Vox, defeating Steve Callahan on the way to a championship. So I got no problem with who I am in flip flops, which is a champion. Okay. The champion. The champion. champion the motherfucking champion. champion. Wait, we have. <laughs> yes, that's Woo! me in flip flops. <laughs> 
Okay, You've done a sorry. very poor job of explaining yourself. <laughs> nope. According You've to no one. justified nothing. I, I relinquished the rest of my time, and so, I just won the Greater Houston Area Debate Championship. So I No, but I, have you, you been s- hanging out at Cape Cod so long that you think this is acceptable? Yes. And we're in California, bud. I don't know if you've heard about the reputation out here. It's hang loose. I, I think if the restaurant easy. was not doing uh, so poorly financially, <laughs> yeah, they would throw clearly that they would not have let you in. Yeah, we, no we shoes, had our no we service. had our uh, our usual um, on cocaine waiter who we have seemingly every time we go there, who bear who strains to remember us through the fog of cocaine. Yeah. Uh, also, but, when they. They always have specials that are just same. so unremarkable and not spe- <laughs> like not something you would bite on. Like it's right. like, you know, we have a rice pilaf. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We've you know. got a special beet salad off the menu. It's like, yeah. Right. <laughs> the food there is great, though. Jar is awesome. And I do feel badly. I swear to God. Every time we go there, there are two fewer items on the menu, and it becomes like a C-minus student writing a paper, changing the margins, (laughs) increasing the font, and we're going to go there one day, and it's just going to say, steak. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd still be there. I guess, yeah. No, it is good, yeah. Yeah, it's a a good place, and like it's always been kind of an older crowd, C. Conan O'Brien. Yeah. And uh, they're struggling because of the writer's strike, they say, you know, I guess they have sure. a big writer clientele. So uh, fewer and fewer people have been going. Keep telling so, yourself that, Jared. If, you, if, you're, <laughs> if you're in L.A. and you want to have a good steak at a place that feels like you're in sort of a country club. A, a, at a place that doesn't specialize in steak is not a steakhouse. <laughs> In spite of all the other steakhouses, <laughs> have some fish at a place that isn't a fish restaurant. <laughs> the food there is really good. I mean, I, I it's good. It. I enjoy it. Well, maybe it's C- just... Could we try another place someday? Sure. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was going to suggest maybe we go to uh, uh, Cut, the place in the Regent Beverly Wilshire. Yeah. Would, would that have we been. We can't afford that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I got the steak. Did there he just is... say cunt? No. Oh no. Oh, okay. That's my favorite word. Beloved cunt. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so that was that was a. That would be. I I feel like if you named a restaurant cunt, you would for a while be the it place. Yeah. You have to check out cunt. (laughs) We we know Michael Douglas would eat it cunt all the time. Oh yes. I'm so fucking. Till he got throat cancer. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my lord! Um, JC, all of this stuff is a cunt. We're not going to keep this in the show. Oh, did you hear what I just said? A cunt. I know. I just said all this stuff is a cunt. cunt. (laughs) That's hilarious that I missed it. That's great. You know what? I think maybe we we push the uh, our concert series to next week. We 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 both saw concerts this week, and we want to talk about it. But let's talk about that next week. That's right now. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's get into a part of the show we like to call Johnny Jokes. Oh, from Hollywood, <laughs> don't look at his feet, anyone. Here's Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> you call me Shoeless Joe Jackson. All right. I feel uh, like a total... These jokes fl- are going to flip-flop. <laughs> That's right. And you'll tell me which one flips and which one flops right away. And also, I feel like a fraud this week after Josh Robert Thompson's Johnny Ooh, last week, which so was just... Good. It's oh, fine. my God. The second he started talking about it, uh, talking in that <laughs> voice, I lost it. All right. Here we go. Here's my bad, Johnny. Well, maybe you heard about this. DraftKings, sports betting site DraftKings, has apologized for their 9-11 Never Forget a Parlay promotion. <laughs> Although the company took a publicity hit, they're hoping to make it all back with their Take a Long Shot promotion on Martin Luther King Day. Oh. Oh, there's the first flop. And here we go. Joke two quickly. The streets of a small town in France have been flooded by red wine after the local vineyard's two million gallon cask burst. A crisis was averted when quick-thinking locals gently placed an open-mouthed Gerard Depardieu at the bottom of the hill. I knew you were going to get to Depardieu. (laughs) You knew it. Dearly Depardieu. That's when he dies. (laughs) Dearly Depardieu. That was Martin Scorsese's The Depardieu. Um, All right. here Depardieu to me. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard about this story. Well, uh, JV right-wing nut Lauren Boebert was reportedly kicked out of a performance of the musical Beetlejuice for illegally recording and vaping. Uh, Funny thing was, she didn't have a ticket. Someone in the audience just said her name three times. (laughs) That's how it works with Beetlejuice. Uh, Here's a quirky little story. An English school's weekly letter-writing program has been abruptly suspended after a six-year-old wrote a letter to his teacher saying, quote, I would plow you into next week. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, the teacher has turned lemons into lemonade and started a new dating app called Kinder. Kinder. That's good. That's very good. And finally, uh, Boston, the city of Boston, announced that they will be home to a professional women's soccer team. And that the team name will be chosen through a local online vote. Uh, So let us here be the first to say have a great season to the Boston Harbor Skanks. (laughs) Okay. Stumbled on the wording and I meant to do a Boston accent and I forgot it all. Harbor Skanks. Harbor Skanks. All right. Very, very well done. And here we go. Johnny 2. Johnny 2. Well, comedian Russell Brand is being accused of rape, assault, and sexual abuse. Uh, However, Brand told his attorneys he believes he has immunity from the charges from ivermectin. (laughs) (laughs) Got him coming. Big proponent of that. Uh, Brand's accusations forced Hollywood actors to open a file called letter of support dot doc and find replace the words Danny Masterson. (laughs) You keep skirting around it. 
Skirt, skirt, skirt. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, uh, Congressperson Lauren Boebert was kicked out of a performance of Beetlejuice for vaping and groping her date. Uh, Boebert denied anything illicit took place with her date's groin, saying she was just giving the play a handing ovation. It's <laughs> <laughs> ah, fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> That's right. two, two UFOs up for that one. <laughs> well, an F-35 pilot ejected mid-flight, and the U.S. government is still looking for the missing stealth bomber. Uh, authorities are asking anyone who's seen nothing to step forward. <laughs> <laughs> also great. <laughs> and uh, here's a double joke. It's an and finally, but it's a double. Okay. Yeah. And finally... Uh, this week, uh, Hunter Biden was indicted on gun charges and could face up to 10 years in prison, depending on how impressed the judge is with pictures of his penis. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, this is nice. When President Biden heard the charges, he offered to take the fall because he was mid-fall. Excellent. Oh, good Oh, awesome. Wow, both. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Oh, folks, we are excited today. You know, this is a podcast uh, for writers by writers who hate writing. And I think we may have uh, gotten a fellow traveler here today. We have an awesome writer creator. Uh, he has created the very popular show Happy Endings. One he created the show Marry Me based on his own relationship with his wife. Uh, he wrote the movie That's My Boy with Adam Sandler and Andy Samberg. Very funny writer-creator. Well, David. you're not going to say Black Monday? <laughs> no, I refuse to mention that. Okay. We'll get into why. Fair. <laughs> Let's please welcome Mr. David Casp. David, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you Boy, for having me. I'm a real fan of the show, guys. I've I've been listening since the beginning. No way. Oh. That's unreal. Yeah, no, so it's nice. true. In fact, I, I sent Alec a text uh, about it very early on, and he responded nicely, and then months later texted me like, hey, man, I don't know if you know me, but I'm Alec, and uh, if you would ever want to, we have this podcast, if you'd ever want to do the show or anything, I was like, what? well, if you scroll up just a little bit in the text chain, you'll see that I that I did text you saying oh how much I like the show and stuff yes. like that. Um, that and your really dear good. wife is truly like has an, a legitimate hand in the fact that I have three children. I mean, she is like a major... Really? 
part of was she there at conception <laughs> uh, she was in, <laughs> she she was in the room helping okay. us meditate our way through it you know yes. i need to really block out all outside influences uh to get the job done um no tall your wife is uh i couldn't love more and was at sony when i came in with uh happy endings having never pitched a tv show or even been on a TV show or anything, and she uh, really fought for it. And there were so many people that were, you know, rightfully so, like, this doesn't make sense to do. Um, and she fought hard for it, um, along with Jamie Tarsus, the great Jamie Tarsus, rest in peace. And, yeah. uh, you know, then I met my wife in the auditions for the show. Uh, yeah, and we got married and have three kids, and truly, like, had Tall not gotten that show on the air from Sony obviously with the help of a lot of other people, but she was always like the tip of the spear. Wow. That's you know, awesome. These children don't exist and I have money. Oh, and dude, he just cars. called your wife a spear. <laughs> no, I just, I just heard just the tip. That's all I heard. But no, David, that's awesome. And it's funny because I, I mentioned it all yesterday. I said, well, we're talking to David Casmore. Oh, please give him a big hug. And I'm like, you, you know, we do this on Zoom, right? <laughs> And I said, even if we were in this, even if we were in the same room, I don't know if a big hug is happening. No. Yeah, probably just a back slapper. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that she also was like, I'm not sure who that is. Yeah. And then you have to be like, well, if you check uh, your text up, chain, you'll see. Know. Yeah, scroll up just a little. No, um, no. And Goldie, we have so many, uh, so many pals and actors in common as well. Yasser and uh, Pally, I loved your show uh, very much. Oh, thank you. Um, and Pally, oh, yeah. of course, what's was it, unhappy. What's it called? If you loved it so much, what's it called? Making history. There you Woo! go. You yeah. got it. I loved <laughs> it. Um, Neil Casey also on that show was so great. I've worked with him a bunch. I love yeah, him. He, he is a guy where if you just need a laugh from anything, Neil Casey will get it for you. Yeah, I was uh, my. I'm gonna name drop here. Uh, my friend Jared Hess, uh, the director, was telling me he so he has a uh, like a ranch in in Preston, Idaho, and he was telling me the other day that. Neil Casey came out to visit, and he he flew and landed his own plane at the airport oh my God. in Preston, Idaho. And then he said he went to pick Neil up, and Neil was like chaining his plane <laughs> to something with like a bike lock. And he's like, "No one's gonna walk off with your plane." <laughs> well, in light of your joke about the F-35 jet, maybe that's not that's true. true. David, as much as Goldie's gonna hate it, I cannot go any further in this interview without mentioning how fucking fantastic your hair looks. You literally <laughs> yeah. look like you're uh, whatever, Mr. Fantastic, the stretch man. It, the I, I, I was going to say, it looks like David Blaine did magic on his own hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, David Casp did magic on his own hair, which is a little embarrassing, which is like no, I, in, really in my ever-evolvingly weirder and weirder like search for things to do during the strike, I did shave my own head around the sides myself Wow. Um, and also, you have like gray streaks, yeah, the like gray perfectly streak lined awesome. gray streaks on each side. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Polly Walnuts. I'm kind of <laughs> like Polly Walnuts. <laughs> strange. Um, well, anyway. I also put is... a mustache on, which is, I don't know what. That's good. You're, what no, I'm you're, doing. You're, you're in costume for this podcast. <laughs> no, no one will see. <laughs> I'm searching, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I was. Yeah, are you having trouble? Are you, because you're a very productive person, are you kind of going crazy because we can't do anything? 
You know, it's interesting because uh, my therapist, the great Donna Paul, who lives four doors down from me, uh, she pointed out that basically because I was like really going crazy and and I have sort of like OCD and that kind of stuff. And she pointed out that sort of like when I'm if I'm working on a script, then in the middle of the night, I kind of wake up and you kind of put the scenes in order, you know, where you're like, oh, well, if this happened, then maybe that could happen. Then this could go to this and this could go to that. And if I'm not breaking a script in my brain in the middle of the night, I'm just like breaking my downfall, like the story of my downfall. Like, oh, well, this happened today, which is going to lead to that, which is then going to lead to that, which is then going to lead to that, you know. Um, So she actually like really helped me because she pointed that out and was like, you need to work on something or you will just like start to make up these like narratives in your life that don't exist that feel very real to me. But, but so now you're exist. cutting you're cutting your own hair, <laughs> cutting my own hair. Weirdly, I told JC on our text chain uh, from the show, we don't know each other prior that I've started playing like a strange amount of tennis, which I, I had so never jealous. played before. That's JC's jam. I yeah, we I love it. I always hated exercise so much. And then it's the one uh, exercise that I really enjoy. You just like don't think so about good. the cardio workout. You just, it's yeah. so fun because it's focused. a game. Anyway, my yeah. wife is so bored of all these conversations. So oh, really? My, my <laughs> so oh, God, stew. my downfall, my oh. <laughs> like anxiety, my OCD, tennis, exercise, That's my boring. haircut. <laughs> well, you have us now. All. Yeah. You have us. That's great. I want to go back to. Because I think it's really interesting, especially for writers who are listening. So because uh, we have different uh, we share the anxiety, that's for sure. Um, but when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking like, you know, why didn't Frodo and Sam just ride the Eagles <laughs> all the way to Mount Doom? Like that would have saved the whole question. trip. But you're you wake up and are immersed in whatever you're working in. And and so has that been the way that you've written over the years like before because I I was reading your story and and basically you came out to LA and then had like a a good deal of success initially so like when you're writing uh that's my boy and you're coming up with happy endings which seemed like they were kind of around close to around the same time was that your process then or has your process changed now to like now you're immersed in it and you had a different process to begin with by the way, you've now mentioned that's my boy more times than those words have been spoken in the last like 15 <laughs> years. I, but I, I have a, a thing to say about that because I was reading and and the original title for that was I Hate My Dad, right? I Hate You, Dad. I Hate yeah. You, Dad, which yeah. is a much better and more interesting title. And I'm wondering what happened. Did some executive say, we can't put the word hate in the title? You know, n- I will say that no, very, very few words in that movie were in my script. Okay. Uh, So that movie was rewritten by so many people that actually I ended up getting credit on it because so many, you know, the way it was an original pitch by me. Um, And by the way, I love, uh, you know, I don't know him well or anything, but Adam Sandler gave me such a huge break and it was like a dream to get to write a movie for him and all that stuff. So I have zero complaints of this story, but... But yes, it was um, rewritten by uh, Ken Marino and David Wayne uh, did a big pass. Um, and Ken is a, is a, a, I love him. Um, yeah, yeah. And, I worked with him. Yeah, I worked with him a bunch. I love him. Um, and so um, people in the Sandler camp always, I think, do a pretty big pass. Him and I, probably Herlihy or someone like that. And yep. 
So by the end of it, it was, and then I think another team did a pass. So by the end of it, there were no words really that were mine anymore in it, including the title. Uh, but, uh, but, but it was uh, the way that the guild works, I guess, is like if it's an original pitch, like somebody has to have changed 50% of it or something like that. And because there were so many people, like no oh. one... No one had more than fifty percent, so I got so a credit. So yes, it. Wow. so you're giving the money back, or by the way, the sole credit I was very happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, by the way, like having to write my thing of why I should get sole credit, and then of course the movie just came out and bombed, and I'm like, why yeah. am I? Why <laughs> well, am I you, I mean, this? to have that. How old were you when that happened? When this came, uh, out? probably thirty, about. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you weren't incredible. like a. You weren't like a young kid, but had you been out here trying to do stuff for years or like what was your path to getting to the point where you made a living as a writer? Strangely, I was my whole life. My mom is an artist and um, and my so my whole life I was a painter. No big deal. Uh, really, <laughs> uh, really no big deal. Uh, and uh, uh, there's just no way to say it without it sounding so embarrassing. Um, yeah. no. But that's what I was uh, pursuing always was visual art. And then I was not, I don't know. I, I felt I was living in New York and not feeling super like, I don't know. I, maybe I was burnt out by it or because I had done it sort of, it was kind of the thing I could do since I was little. So I gravitated towards it to try to, have people like me, and um, yeah. I think I did it so much every day for so long that that I maybe burned out a little. Um, yeah, but I I don't know. I also started moving like from painting to video art, um, oh. and then I started like casting people in it and writing little things. And I was like, wait, what am I doing here? And I had a friend in L.A. who's still a close friend of mine, uh, Jordan Cahan, who had come out here after college and sold a bunch of movies and stuff and was doing great. And you guys had talked about this on the podcast a lot. Like back then, I had no idea that movies even were written or like television shows were written. It didn't right. seem like a real job in Chicago, <laughs> right. you know. Um, and because there was no like internet or or any of that stuff, it felt like I don't know. It was just like not something I was even aware of. Um, and when he was wow. doing it, I was sort of blown away. And it was kind of similar to, you know, all the all the different types of things you do in art stuff is kind of similar you know goldie i know you play guitar with my other dear friend matthew libman um, oh yeah and uh, we were hitting santa monica stores yesterday testing amps <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> um awesome. so i don't know i always like played in bands and wrote songs and you know bad again very bad songs but um you know it's all sort of the same idea you have an idea and you want to like make something so i i tried to you know shift to writing and jordan truly like taught me how to write where I would just wow. like I wrote something and send it to him and he would read like you know a hundred drafts of the same bad story of like a you know the movie everybody writes when they come to LA of like going back home for Thanksgiving and like seeing the person <laughs> that you loved in high school and what are they doing and you're not happy with your shit you know um, yeah. and that's very good and yeah. uh, <laughs> you guys can have it um, and he read like hundreds of drafts of that and and um you know, truly just like started breaking it down for me of like, no, you need like an inciting incident that kicks it off and, you know, all that stuff helped me immensely. Um, And then, and then, so I wrote another one and uh, got really lucky that, that, you know, I was, you know, there were so many more ways to sell a spec feature back then. And I sold it to a company that I think doesn't exist and the movie never got made. Um, But that got me reps and stuff. Um, and that was right before, actually, the last strike. Uh, mm, and I right. remember 
you know, being out there uh, for that one, but, you know, living in a rental apartment with no family. So it was a much different uh, situation. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and then and then so then they got me the ability to like pitch an idea and I pitched it around and um, Sandler's company liked it. And then um, and then I wrote that for them. Um, and then before that movie got made, my agent said, do you have any ideas for a TV show? And I went around and pitched and I pitched Jamie Tarsus was one of the people. And um, she liked it, and we went into Sony, and they they did it, and and then um, yeah, that was a very, very hot script. I remember, like I remember that was that year, the one where it's like you got to read happy, happy endings. endings. And do you think it was just that, like so the fact that it kind of plugged into the Friends model? I mean, aside from being very funny, like was that spoken of? Like this is like a modern Friends, but. <laughs> Fresh. <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, ironically, like I never watched Friends um, growing up and really actually sort of haven't still to this day, even though it seems like I ripped off so much of it to the point where people would even point to things of like, this is fully from <laughs> Friends. And I was like, no, it's not. And then I'd turn it on and be like, wow, that's, you know, either either I didn't rip it off or more likely like it somehow was like playing in the background at a, you know, uh, some Marriott I was staying out in El Paso one night, you know, and, I, and <laughs> yeah. it seeped in. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I didn't know that, um, that people were reading it. And it terrifies me even to this day to, <laughs> to know that, even though I guess it's been on TV. But Well, I mean, cool. the pilot's so good. I rewatch Happy Endings maybe once every three to four years, that the, wow. the season. Oh, wow. uh, it's one of my so favorite sweet. shows ever. Oh, why, why don't you hold off on that till we iron out this residual screening thing? Okay, okay. Re- residuals for uh, streaming. Then, then David will get a okay. little more cash for I'll it. Wait, a little more cash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I want I want to go back because I was interested yeah. to hear. Um, so you grew up in Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, you're a nice Jewish boy. Um, yeah. And you're you've so- taken to wearing this guy around. I mean, under the shirt mostly, but oh yeah, you know, occasionally I'll bring it out. Repping, where repping are. David, right. repping yeah. David. Your namesake. Love that. <laughs> Not religious at all, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's, just that's angry, a... <laughs> more angry than anything. So I'm like, I want to star David. That's seventy percent of it. Yeah, no, yes. <laughs> and people should know that wearing the star of David in Hollywood gets you into restaurants faster. It's just oh. a nice. It's a good thing to have. When it really here. greases the wheels. I will say though, if you go too far outside of LA uh, yes. you could get into some trouble you know I was uh, people think it's Arizona. California it's Cal- but, by the way California I mean it's anywhere yeah. really yeah. I was in a hot tub no big deal uh, at a hotel uh, and sitting around talking to this guy and the nicest guy in the world sitting in there and I sort of forgot that I was wearing this thing and he was from um, I don't know where uh, La Cañada or something which is like right yeah. here right yeah. you know and I'm not saying this is everybody there, but it was this guy. And so at the end, like, we're talking whatever, and I get out, and he turns to my wife, and he goes, man, that guy's really into astrology. And she's like, what? <laughs> and he thought the star was, like, a, a stro- astrological symbol or something. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's funny. I grew up in San Francisco for the first eight years, and then Chicago, and then lived in New York and here. So, so, but you're you you mentioned your mom was or is an artist, and uh, and so you got into painting. But I'm wondering, with the comedy side and the writer side, what was your family? Because I found in a lot of Jewish families and a lot of the Jewish writers we talk to, 
comedy is sort of a big part of growing up. Like you, you're sort of shown Mel Brooks and, and things like that as you, as you grow up. So w- was that also happening in your household? You know, that I feel like was kind of more through my friends. I mean, my dad is very funny, um, but he's like a Chicago uh, soybean trader from Des Moines, Iowa. So he's like funny and like, a, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a, you know, I don't know if people know what a soybean trader is, but it's like the guys on the floor with the hand motions in uh, trading places, you know, although that yeah. movie was, I think, in Philadelphia. But um, anyway, so he's just like a, a great Chicago funny guy, you know. Yeah. Um, but as far as uh, movies, he's not, I don't know that they ever showed me many like comedies. But me and my friends, Jordan, who I mentioned, and, and Matthew, who I also mentioned, and Matthew's little brother, Daniel, the four of us um, right together out here, we created a show together called Champagne Ill that... Uh, <laughs> for YouTube Red that literally was about to come out a, oh. a week later and YouTube Red, the entire network folded a week before the show would oh. come out. Which oh. is, like, I've got a few of I those. Had, I had something there. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, and it was told that we didn't want to do it there. We, we sold it two places. Sony made us do it there. And then they were told, uh, but it's a creator's paradise. They're going to let you do whatever we want. Then we handed in the script and, and we got back. They hate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect Hollywood story. Um, but yeah, all those guys, you know, we kind of all got, I don't know how it happened, you know, but just got very into uh, Naked Gun, uh, yeah. you know, um, Sandler stuff, of course, like all his tapes and stuff came out and um, right. right around then. And uh, Eddie Murphy Raw and all those, yeah, you know, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Uh, yeah, we. I still remember my mom coming down and seeing us like, I don't even know how we had it. We had one of those TVs <laughs> where you, you remember the TVs where you like unfold the front of it and it projects like up? Yes. Um, yes. With the three light, the three lights. Yeah, the three yeah. lights. I don't yeah. know. It was like some, ha- some house uh, my folks rented and it had that TV in it. And um, <laughs> yeah, I just remember sitting in the basement and, and watching... Um, it was either raw or delirious. I, I never remember, but it was. We watched both of them a ton, and she came down and saw them. It's like, what are you doing? But to her credit, she uh, she didn't make a stop. You know, she, she was always happen. very yeah. Really, because my mom once saw us watching MTV and went upstairs and called the cable company and got rid of it. <laughs> Is that true? Is that a fact? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. We'd God. had it for like ten days. It must wow. have been one of those Madonna I, I, videos. I think it was because of Huey Lewis, I Want a New Drug, and she was like, drugs! <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked. You're a, very, you're a clean living guy, Goldie. Yeah. Um, but so, and now I want to get to the, the painting, because that's very interesting. We haven't, I don't think we've ever talked to a writer who started out wanting to be a painter, because... When I think of uh, painters, and and you mentioned that you were doing this in in New York, so in particular in New York, I think of anguish, and you're playing music as you sit there in front of a canvas (laughs) and splatter paint on on the thing. Did you have a particular style of painting that that you or medium? Like, did you do pastels or oils or watercolor? (laughs) I, you know, I I I did mostly like realistic, um, like hyper-realistic uh, charcoal drawings and, and cool. um, yeah, oil and acrylic and everything. I am uh, w- colorblind, and that was a real wow. roadblock for me. <laughs> when, yeah. it to, when it came to painting, you know, I could do, I, I could do kind of realistic in charcoal, and then when I'd try to work in the colors, I, uh, it, was, it was tough for me. So, um, 
But no, I was, I don't know if I was anguished. I mean, well, you can, know. I, I want to ask you about yeah, please. a lot of what I know about the art world is because uh, two weeks ago I read a New Yorker article <laughs> about Larry Gagosian. <laughs> and it, basically, he's made the entire economy for art. And it's like him sort of deciding something has worth, gives it worth, then people trade it as though it has worth. He acts as the agent for the trades the entire time and he creates a market. And I'm wondering, you know, given that you went from that to show business, did, was that something you were aware of as you were trying to be an artist that like, I need to cultivate this sort of hipness around me or this market around me or impress this person as we kind of have to do in our profession? Yes. I mean, it, it feel, I mean, I was unsuccessful at doing that, but it feels um, very, the, the, it feels very similar, and I didn't quite know because I didn't know anything about Hollywood until I came out here, um, and now I know everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, the it, it is very similar. So you're pay, you're like a, an artist, and you're trying. You know, obviously, there's a much more pure version of this. But like, if I were to break it down, how it felt to me is like you're an artist. You're trying to get an agent, just like a writer, right? But the agent is a gallery. You know, um, and then if you get a gallery, they'll put you in shows and they'll put you in, you know, Art, Art Basel, Basel or something. Things. Yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. And um, they take 50% usually. And it's the same thing. Yeah. And then you want to get a review and the thing and then you want people to buy it. And then as far as the market, like I, I didn't learn much about it until um, because, again, I was a, a not a, I am a failed painter. Uh, but the uh, I've wa I watch a ton of documentaries about it because um, I'm still fascinated by art and love art. Um, and, you know, threatened sometime in the future if I ever, you know, I mean, I have three children. They're like, when am I going to find a little, like, space of time or real estate within my home to paint, but yeah. um, to do it again. But anyway, uh, these documentaries, the, the market thing is really kind of terrifying. You know, there, there's one called um, The Price of Everything that is really interesting because you know, in the same way that they can build the market, they can completely destroy it. You know what I mean? Um, if like too many people sell, it's like the stock market. If too many people start selling one artist's stuff, like their prices start to tank. So there's actually people that, um, I'm probably not saying this correctly, but that, that like Warhol or something like that, like a Warhol will never, like when people take any Warhol to market, someone will pop in and buy it for a certain number because if they don't, basically, then like yeah. all the people that have them, uh, you know, the, the price of them will tank, you know. But so it's, it's also a way of storing value that was embezzled for a, a lot I'm of sure. it, right? That it's, it's like criminals know that it's a way of keeping like $400 million in one spot. Right. <laughs> you know, that's sort of undetectable, which is that to me is the fascinating aspect of art is it it really is really it's the highest level of skill and refinement tied in with the lowest level of grift. Oh, yes. Wow. I mean, it, it, it's also because it's like you just took some paint and put them on this on this canvas. And now you're saying that's worth 80 million dollars. It's like it's an like, NFT, really. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of a. I sort of wanted to do a show. I wanted to do a show in this world. And of course, when I started to talk about it, everyone was like, well, that's been pitched out a thousand times and blah, blah, blah. But um, <laughs> it is very interesting in that like. And uh, this is probably not something for a podcast and I'll regret saying it, but it, 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 it's just so pretentious to say, but it's a real, like, it's a real metaphor. And I only bring it up because you guys talk about mental health on this show a lot, which I really uh, uh, like uh, when you guys do. Uh, yeah. And 
it's an interesting metaphor for like everything in life, you know, like because it's all made up. Like, what is any of this? Like, yes. what is any yeah. relationship? What's you know? Um, I mean, it's going to sound darker than it is. I'm a very happy guy, but like, <laughs> yes, we've made all these like little jobs and clothes and and you know things that are important to do before <laughs> whatever and all that stuff. But then as you see, you know, people die and stuff, you realize like, wait a second, what is a fucking like? Who cares about? Uh, winning an SP or something, and now of course I'd love to win an SP. But you know what I mean? Like it's all everything well, once is made you up. Lose your hair, yeah. you realize it's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, but I, I want to just on going back to the art thing. So and the making of the market and how I, I I'm fascinated by this. And I'm only like lingering here because I do think it's how our work gets valued. It's kind of tied into the strike, and it's kind of tied into like when you enter this profession, how you get from like. I have a spec script to I have a mansion, right? Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is something that people do want. But so when my first kid was born and, you know, you become friends with all people who have kids around the same age, and then the moms all know each other. The dads don't know each other. So I was introduced to this dad. His name was Sterling. He was really cool. We had a, a bunch of hangouts and I heard, oh, Sterling's an artist and, you know, didn't think much about it. I was like, that's cool. And anyway, this is Sterling Ruby, who's like a major artist, I, it turns out. And... I didn't really realize the extent of it until I, I was, again, reading The New Yorker, and there was a big article ah, about his work. And, like and one of the things was he had decided, like, I just want to make jeans. Like, I want to make <laughs> pants. And so he started, like, trying to make these jeans, and the jeans were, like, $2,500. But Michael Ovitz, who had bought a bunch of his art, freaked out because he was like, you're going to devalue the art by making jeans. So Michael Ovitz had to come to his studio and kind of, like, look at the jeans and approve the jeans. Like he had to talk to this guy about what he wanted to do. And I was like, in a way, there's no escape from notes, right? A hundred percent. I find it like you're the first person I've ever been able to talk to about this stuff. So I, 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 it's cool that you were into that. And I feel like I'm a little also curious how you stop doing that. If you're, if it's something you're into. Well, it's interesting. So, like that—that that is so, like it, it, all the value is totally like you said. Like, like the the there's probably nothing that you could compare it to where the like cost of the goods to make it is so far from the the price to buy the thing or what Us, it's worth. What we do, the right? words, the words are nothing. <laughs> words are nothing, but the at least like they have to pay. You know. $40 million to make the 10 episode season, right? Or something right. like that. Whereas like yes. you truly can make a piece of art out of like 99 cents worth of stuff and it's worth $80 million. It just like yeah. sort of highlights in my mind, like how the worth of everything is so made up anyway. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, it's, um, it, it's all, I look, I'm sure there's pure, there's pure artists, there's pure writers, there's pure everything everywhere. But yes, it does feel like, you know, there's notes and it's all a market and it's all, you know, manipulated and, you know, people are hiding money everywhere. I mean, it feels like every few years, some Hollywood production company like is like they discover was like someone was like stealing money and putting it in there to hide it. And, you know, it's oh, um, look into the financing for Wolf of Wall Street. There was a Malaysian guy who was, uh, he basically had created a fraudulent petroleum company with the Saudis. And then he had taken like their money for 
assets that didn't exist and then was trying to like buy parts of hotels and was a producer on the Wolf of Wall Street Amazing. and was hanging so out ironic. with like DiCaprio and Jamie Foxx. There was a book about it. It's called like The Biggest Whale or something. Um, but yeah, I just keep waiting to hook up with those people and <laughs> take an interest. <laughs> Uh, and so, David, in reading about you, and I, d- just because it's a hot news story right now, you went to uh, University of Colorado. Mm. And so are you all in on Deion Sanders or do you not care? You know, I'm literally, as we're saying this, texts are popping up in my in the corner um, <laughs> because I didn't want to devote all my attention to you guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, I don't know how to turn that off. Uh, maybe JC could teach me that afterwards <laughs> as you taught me this stuff. Uh, but uh, no, all my Colorado friends are like super into it. I, I'm a huge, like enormous basketball fan. I grew up in, in Chicago, like at the height. I like moved to Chicago in 1984. So oh, wow. I was there through all that stuff and remain a huge NBA fan. And then, uh, but, but yes, I was never a huge college football fan, but I'm clearly missing what would be like a great joy in my life right now is like because my friends are all going crazy and it just doesn't doesn't really matter to me. I mean, I'm happy to see it. But I also went to my freshman year at um, UC Santa Cruz because coming out of high school, I thought I was thought I was a hippie. And I, I went, went to UC there. Santa Cruz. Oh, wow. Yeah, I went there before I went to Berkeley. Oh, wow. So, Look yeah. at you two. What, what college it's, were you in? I think it was Porter. Yeah. Did, is that what the is that what the sorting joint Told you to go into <laughs> uh, little Harvey totally. Potter reference. Love it. <laughs> I, I that was my freshman year, and I was I, I don't remember a ton. Uh, yeah. And I was uh, I was like I got to get out of here a little bit, you know. Yeah, um, and totally. I had some pals at Boulder. Is the only reason I chose Boulder. So I was never. I don't know. I don't identify as a buff. I I just want to say, as I always do when it comes up, that people who are into college football as adults are losers. <laughs> Your college doesn't care about you. You're a graduate. You're out. It's for the kids who are there. You're an irrelevant, aged weirdo who's trying to glom on to the success oh of teens. It's disgusting. You're a loser. This is wow. what a what a stand to take. I love it. I love it. I love uh, it. I I you know out of fear that one of these guys is going to listen to this, I'm I'm just going <laughs> to sort of let sit that, this one out. Yeah. Sit this one out. Yeah. Although, uh, yeah. Okay. What if it's I ha- said to you, I'm a fan of teens? How does that sound? <laughs> Not By great. the way, but it's hard enough, isn't it? Like, why, the older I get, the more like watching all these sports and listening to like new bands or something like that. I'm like, I don't know that I can listen to like a song by a 23 year old about like you know um and of course i still do and love much of it but (laughs) but you know what i'm saying like it it starts to get um not that it's even weird but that it's just sort of like god that person's so young like yes do i need their take on death you know know, (laughs) know? Uh, that's great well so you you mentioned and and how awesome this must have been you you moved to Chicago right as the the Michael Jordan era begins. So do you remember did you go to any memorable games? So I mean and this is I really went to like all of them strangely because oh. so we moved to Chicago from San Francisco and it was my dad when I was a kid was gone Monday through Friday to Chicago to work um cuz back then like you couldn't 
it's funny because now all trading is like computerized to where there's no floors anymore, even like there's no trading floors. But back then there was no even like there was no option to even do it on the phone or anything like it was like you had to be there. Um, the whole so job was, was yelling and not peeing, right? Exactly. <laughs> and like taking breaks to puke, you know, because you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to sell my home tonight. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so he'd be gone Monday through Friday to Chicago. So then eventually it was like, this is untenable. So we're going to move to Chicago and it was, you know, I was in third grade and my sister was in fourth and it was, you know, obviously not some big deal, but I think we got to Chicago and, you know, the NBA in 84 was like, I think the games were still tape delayed and stuff like that. Like it was not a huge, it was, had not fully broken through yet. Um, right. Even though I was already a big fan, but so my dad, you know, the Bulls were terrible. It was pre-Jordan. So the Bulls yep. were horrible. And, and so he got season tickets as like a way to be like, we're in Chicago, like I'll take you to some games and stuff like that, you know, just to kind of ease the transition, I guess. And then they drafted Jordan and it became this like insane thing. And um, this was at the old Chicago (laughs) stadium that was so great um, before the United Center. And, And so then, yeah, as like a kid, I would go to all these games, just me and my dad. And it was, you know, that, that truly that like kind of, um, you know, corny, thing that I now feel with my son and, and everything awesome. who um but then as I would get older he didn't want to drive down to the games anymore because it was like 40 minutes from where we lived so then he I would we'd have these two tickets and he would say go ahead and take a friend so Matthew who you're friends with uh Goldie wow. we we went to like a bunch of these games oh um I mean really all of them because he just had them and and then the Bulls were so big that what you could do which a lot of people do now I'm sure out here too but back then like ticket you know face value of these tickets was like $75 or something yeah. but then in the playoffs you could sell one game or two games or something like that and and cover the whole season you know so then he'd wow. let me go to the rest of them wow. yeah in high school we would just get so stoned and go down and you know uh totally. watch like game seven against the pacers or something like just insane Amazing. insane so uh, awesome god wow. battles the what yeah. battles they were oh god it was so fun and sports is better to your point a little bit goldie to uh add on to it is like sports is better when you're a kid right like it just is i, I think personally like because yeah you, except for you, tennis first of all the like the off-season feels incredibly long right so like your team loses and it's like oh my god it's the biggest thing in the world but now as an adult you're kind of like well they're kind of back in a month and a half like it's not the end of the world you know what i mean (laughs) and then also like yeah i don't know it's just like more of course magical and all that stuff so it was just like a great there's nothing better and you guys talk about it a lot here but um sounds like you had it with uh the celtics in the 80s and stuff like there's nothing better than having like a incredible team when you're nine you yeah. know? Also, yeah. so we yeah. didn't totally have to right. know about them personally very much, which mm-hmm. made it a lot easier and yeah. better. Yeah. Is that they're without Twitter and without Instagram, like I didn't know their opinions on anything, and that there was that remove where they seemed like they were on a different plane, and it seemed like they were doing something incredible. Whereas now it just seems like oh they're yeah. all fucking yeah dumb. kevin durant is angrily answering trolls <laughs> on twitter and it's i think i think jordan would have been in trouble in the area in the era of social media <laughs> it seems like there are a lot of stories that may come out <laughs> later in our lives about the craziness you know you hear about him and barkley and the gambling and the women and and i think he i don't know how well he would how godlike he would have been in this era but in that era, he was absolutely perfect. I mean, yeah. he even as a Celtics fan, 
you know, totally through and through, I loved Jordan. Like you couldn't, it's rare that when you're a huge fan of one team to love a guy on another team. And I think a lot of that had to do with how he took down the Pistons, who I just hated. Yeah. (laughs) And that that was such a satisfying thing to be able to root for this Superman uh, against all all comers. And he he was great. And I still just love him. And God bless that last dance documentary that saved us all during the first month of COVID. That was just glorious. So I'm, yeah. I'm so jealous that you got to see Jordan perform all the time. It was so great. He also didn't really have like, like they didn't have major rivalry necessarily, necessarily with the Celtics. Like it was the right. more fun side of like, you guys got to see Jordan score 63 points, but still win and then go <laughs> on to win the championship. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And yep. by the time that Jordan was like, when they were really winning, you know, Bird had retired and all that stuff. Yeah, um, so done. it was like, there was no, no issue there. The last dance, I'm curious your guys' opinion, like, and maybe I'm just such a homer for Jordan, but like, it didn't <laughs> seem that anti-Pippin in a way that like he is so angry like have you seen some of the stuff yeah, he's saying he's now? a very sensitive person clearly uh, uh and I'm I'm actually happen to be reading a book right now called Jailblazers which is about that era of the Portland Trailblazers yeah. which Clyde. is also a little bit insane that someone would give them that moniker now which feels so you know judgmental to go to say like these african american males who were caught smoking pot are the jailblazers oh. <laughs> you know oh like God, it it, it seems so pejorative and out Whoa. of line but that whole era uh and pippin is in there i you know you people forget that he had this run on portland and he clearly oh, is so sensitive about how yeah. he's portrayed and i i will say that i once went to a party out here, and um, I saw him taking in a sunset on a balcony. Very oh. he, he appears oh. to be very Hip. sensitive. Hip. You know, it's funny. I I read, and I, I'm sure it's true that Pippen made more money from the Trailblazers than he yes. ever made from the Bulls, which is crazy to me. And I know that good for him. In it, one year, he made 18 million, and in his whole Bulls career, he made 18 million. God, wow. it's insane. Well, everyone hates Jerry Krause in uh, in Chicago. I know because he was the sort of cheapskate owner who wanted to bust up the team as we watched the last dance you know that was kind of the the back well, worse he was the gm so he like kind of wasn't even the owner you know and was still Ryan's like kind of the guy thinking. like pushing the 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 cheapskate stuff although you watch the last dance and it's a little rough on crowd you know i mean it's like this little tiny guy that they are just destroying you know and he's got no what's he gonna say it's like michael jordan making fun of him like like there's really no there's no response there uh but yeah pippen that was back when you you know pippen signed like a seven-year deal that was bad that they should have renegotiated and given him uh more money but that yeah like i mean magic signed a 25 year deal at some point you know that at the time of course was 25 million dollars was like or whatever it was that was incredible but i'm sure by the the fifth year of that it it paled in in comparison or whatever but yeah Yeah. pippen i really love pippen but it's you know someone asked him the other day how do you want to be remembered and he said as the greatest player of all time yeah Yeah, that's not 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 happening not even the greatest player on your team um Uh, anyway i i feel like i've derailed us into like no 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 i love (laughs) it and and, and one more thing that absolutely is one of the funniest stories in the last few years is that pippen's ex-wife is fucking jordan's son which is just what? you could not write that. I mean, it, it's, it's just insane. So you understand a little bit of the 
the venom Whoa. coming from uh, poor Scotty yes. in this whole situation. Yeah, I mean, that is... I'm shocked that's not front page every day. <laughs> every day. Just like, just like, here's the update. Like, kind of like as we're watching LeBron get closer to the scoring record, it's just like every day, just like filling us in. Like, yeah, they're still together. You know, like they went out for dinner last night. You know what I mean? Like, just, it's just, yeah, it's just on so many levels uh just really shocking um but i am still an enormous nba fan um like and, date uh, anyone date bj armstrong's kids yeah i know <laughs> i love bj armstrong what about uh, wennington's kid maybe just get you know change it up um and God. this this brings us nicely into another topic which is um sure. your wife casey wilson has a great podcast uh, about the real housewives uh that all you've been French. on which i have been on a couple the of live times. one i i love uh that podcast and i and and tall has dragged me into the real housewives world and now i feel like i'm immersed so i'm wondering if the same has happened for you do you get dragged into those shows or, or are you just like you watch that shit and do whatever you want i'm not part of it so I have not been dragged into those shows, but I don't have like a judgment on them. I don't know. I just never, there was something about some of them. And, and I know it's not all of them, but some of them, I think after being in a writer's room for a very long time, you start to see how like written they are. Like today yes. it'll be like, we're going to surprise mom at this facial thing with a dress that she wore in high school and see if she can still fit into it or something. You know what right. I mean? And you're yeah. just like, you're setting you're it just up. like, Oh, that's written completely. Yes. And then it's like, and then also, uh, yeah, I don't, again, but no judgment on it. I, those, those particular storylines. And those aren't the ones I know that, that people like people like the more like ones where it's actually people fighting with each other. I don't yeah. know. I, I just never actually got into it. And then honestly now, so she's, she's expanded it into this whole thing garbage world um that is great and and honestly during the strike like truly we are living in garbage world uh yeah. completely. Right. and uh <laughs> she she has um so many shows to watch now that it's not even like an option for me to like drop in she's like i gotta wake up and watch three episodes of this and one episode of that and you know at like 8 a.m or something it's so it's not she's really still enjoying it or she really does, you know, oh, and good. you know, it's interesting because like a lot like your guys podcast, like the way in is reality, but then it becomes about so many just relatable topics to the to people. And it's just sort of like a bunch of friends talking to each other and and um, people really, really love it to the point where like, it's really the thing I would say that she gets recognized the most for easily is everywhere we go, like someone will hear her voice and be like, oh my God, I'm listening to you right now or whatever. And they... They love it. She's really uh, struck a great chord. Um, so cool with it. But no, I, I never, I never particularly got into it. Although, just like a week ago, someone recommended Survivor as something to watch with your kids, and yes. I had never watched Survivor. I have an eight-year-old, a uh, six-year-old, and in just an absolute shock, a seven and a half month old, um, and uh, <laughs> as a forty-four-year-old man, uh, and and. Uh, and so we started watching it not with the seven month old, and uh, it's really fun to watch. Yeah. It's, and and I'm, now there's so many seasons. People are just like, start with this season is so good, and then that season, and then oh. you know. I'm gonna say I'm gonna top that and say do alone with them, the show oh. alone, alone, okay, where people are dropped off in the Arctic wilderness by themselves <laughs> oh, wow. with eight items, and whoever lasts the longest wins and 
the act breaks are like, oh my god, there's a squirrel over there. <laughs> like, like the the stakes become so high because they're hunting Hungry. their own food. Yeah, they're catching mm-hmm. fish. They're building their own shelters. Wow. And that is a fun show. I it's really that. fun and fascinating. And you don't have the gamification of it. I feel like, which is the part of Survivor that kind of annoys me. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll tag on the Amazing Race is very fun to watch with kids. Yes, like it's just like that's a fun version of the competition. It's like a race is very easy to understand, oh, yeah, and sense. and something about that show they've really they've really captured it very well. Mike so, White was on that one too, right? Yeah. So, so we're watching the Mike White, uh, and I'm a, <laughs> I've always been such a big fan of his. It's um, it's so strange. Like when I heard that he was on it years ago, and I didn't watch Survivor, I was like, assuming like, oh, it's like a celebrity edition of the show. You know, like you you just assume it's like, oh, it's like Mike White versus Bill Lawrence. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, like, and then you watch it, it's like, no, he's just on the show, like You're doing it. God bless him, man. It's crazy. I can't imagine. Like, I mean, honestly, my biggest fear in watching Survivor with my kids is that they're going to want me to take them camping. Is like yeah. my, <laughs> I just like hope they don't fall in love with it too much. And God bless him. He's out there just like, like he truly could be anywhere in the world he wants. And he's just like, I'm going to be on this beach with nothing and fighting for rice and fighting uh, for rice. That's so amazing. That, that's Goldie's jam now. Um, what, now we had uh, a writer's assistant from from Family Guy, uh, Dave Wright, who was on Survivor and really made a name for himself on the show. He was a great player on that show because he's this little, you know, physically small guy, and he just seemed like he would be not a threat. And any physical challenge, he would be, you know, last or whatever. But he was so smart in the game, and he was one of those guys. I love when you watch the show, and there's always like one person who like creates a fake idol, yes. to fool the other team. <laughs> and like Dave was that guy, and he was so good that they kept asking him back. And now he's I recognize like, you know, him. Yeah, now he's he like, lives in an island by himself. <laughs> that's right. He's living the <laughs> <That's dream>. surviving. <laughs> but it's it's yeah, watching finding a show that you can watch with your kids is 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 always very fun. Uh, I watched but, Last Dance though with my my eight year old son is like super into basketball, which is just awesome. hits me everywhere. You know, oh yeah. Um, That's and who's what's his team? Does he like LeBron and the Lakers? So he likes the Clippers. Yeah. Uh, oh cool. And I don't yeah, know maybe. why his like favorite player is. He'll say Kawhi, who he's seen play maybe twenty seconds over his lifetime. You know, <laughs> uh, and I love Kawhi, but it's it just like I'm. I don't know when he got to be such a fan of his. Um, but yes, he loves the Clippers, but at the same time, he just loves basketball so much to where like he'll go to school in like a Celtics jersey on top with like Warriors shorts, and you know, like he, yeah. he just like loves it all, you That's know. Awesome. Um, but yes, he watched The Last Dance, and and so that was something like to watch basketball with my son is just you know really. Uh, That's cool. awesome! What a great bonding experience. And uh, now let, let's go back into into happy endings a little bit because th- this show people love this show and I I don't like to call something a cult hit because it was an actual hit. Um, no, that it actually was not. <laughs> it feels well, like it was. I mean, to 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 be on the air for three seasons and and Goldie and I can speak to this as as people who have run shows that that are one and dones. Like three seasons is a huge uh, accomplishment. Did you? And I think I know the answer to this question before I even ask it. But 
Did you ever feel, did you ever have the feeling like, oh, now because we get picked up for season two and for season three, like this is, we're on to something here. Or were you always like kind of nervous? Like, uh, I don't know, any minute they could pull the rug out from under us. I don't know that I've ever in my entire life, Alec, felt like I'm on to something. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm being honest, I, I, I don't have like a bunch of moments where I'm like, oh, I got this shit dialed. You know, like I, I'm in a constant, you know, uh, survival mode, um, yeah. I guess would be the word. Um, and, and no, and also Happy Endings, like it aired right when everything was crashing, the network TV, but yep. still early enough in that to where people didn't realize that. So they just thought like, oh, this the ratings this season are lower than the show that was on it last year at this oh, time. And I so see. they just thought like, they just kept canceling shows and then picking up new ones that got lower ratings then canceling those and picking up new ones that got lower ratings and so on and so forth to the point where like we, we premiered at 10 o'clock Back to back at ten and ten thirty on a Tuesday wow. night, which is that we were of. they were fully going to dump us, and we got like a two six or something at ten o'clock at night on a Tuesday, <laughs> and that was I'm not saying that was like good then, but I'm saying like in comparison, like now yeah. if you get a point five, you're truly on for ten years. Um, yeah. So it was. Wow. I'll tell you that that isn't the case because I would I was. <laughs> getting 0.5s and 0.6s and they got they pulled my show for something to get a point too exactly yeah yeah and i mean i've had that too and i've had many one and dones as well so i i you know i I don't know i didn't um no when we were making that show it felt like first of all they picked it up for mid-season and then we made the whole first season without knowing an air date and then they told us it was going to be april at 10 and 10.30, like, double pumped, you know? And, of course, oh. everyone around me is like, that just means they want to get a lot of interest so people can watch a lot, you know? And I was had never been on a TV show, so I was naive enough to be, like, great. But then, of course, like, all the older writers from day one just, like, this is, you know, like, you're getting canceled. Like, no chance. You know what I mean? Just don't decorate your office. <laughs> well, was you it know? hearing that? I mean... And I love him, by the way. You were yeah. never the employee. You've you've been a boss from the beginning, right? Like, you somehow sold your first thing and were in charge of it. Like, what was that like to go into a writer's room having not been in a writer's room but then be running it? Uh, I mean terrifying you know and and also uh, that's part of like why you say like did I ever feel like comfortable that the show was working like I was like so overwhelmed from minute one that um I never felt comfortable in the chair much less like in the time slot you know what I mean so so first of all I got incredibly lucky that Jamie Tarsus was like you know, fiercely in my corner on the show and and was, you know, really like a protector and we uh, got along great. So she helped me a ton. And then we, uh, you know, I need to be paired with the showrunner. Um, And and so the first guy I met was Jonathan Groff, who had run Conan. Um, And I was, of course, growing up a big Conan fan and just hit it off with Jonathan right away and didn't meet anyone else. It was like, this guy's great. Let's do it. And he is... Truly, I mean, uh, people say it a lot, but he is a uh, he is a real genius, and particularly in that role. And he he went on to do that role uh, for Blackish as well, and he's done it for a couple other shows. And it's not a coincidence. Like he he has an incredible ability to like help you without like making it his thing or or something like that. And now, right. by the way, yeah. Happy Endings 
was very much his thing as well. Like we were totally, the whole show was incredibly collaborative, you know, um, and it was all of our thing together. So I, I'm not saying that it wasn't his thing. I more mean like there, there are more stories of you get paired with a showrunner and they take over the show, you know what I mean? And that's not yeah. his thing. He, he, he's so hilarious as a writer and such a great writer that he, all his stuff gets in because it's great, you know what yeah. I mean? But then he also, like, he wants it to be, you know, he really wanted it to be my voice and all that stuff. And he could just, like, help me through all everything. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's weird. I was a feature writer for a few years um, before it. And so I had never been in a writer's room. And it is the thing you guys talk about a lot. It's a, it's a strange jump from, like, you write alone in a room to, like, suddenly like people are showing you a budget and asking your opinion on like a, you know, $30 million a year company, or, or I guess then we were doing like 22 episodes. So you're like a $50 million wow. a year company and, and they yeah. want your opinion, which is um, kind of odd, you know, that, that <laughs> there's no like business side training. Until you give it, then they hate your opinion. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> which is my, my theory is, is called, Everyone here is an idiot. Everyone everywhere else is a genius because the second they, when they don't have you, you're a genius. When they get you, you're an idiot and anyone outside becomes the genius. And then you leave being branded an idiot, but a year later, you're a genius again. <laughs> that, I think that's grass well is always greener, right? Well I mean, that's basically yeah. grass is always greener. Um, but yeah, so the help with all those people, you know, I mean, I could, I could list forever and ever all the amazing people who were in that room. And it was a weird mix of like, there were people who were very established, um, like Gail Lerner and Bicel, I said, and, and Groff. And then a bunch of us who were just young and there were a few people that had never been on a show. I, the Libmans I brought in, um, with me, which was great to just have like a couple friends who, you know, um, that's huge. I could pull aside afterwards and be like, why is Josh being so mean to me? You know, I mean, like, I, I did have the unique like experience of being like <laughs> bullied within my own room and just have to learn, like, you know, trial by fire immediately how to deal with, with, uh, you know, everything. But that is the best way to well, learn. And I you- do. Was there tension in that because, like, and I don't know if this comes from you, but I've noticed in your shows, like, I, I watched Black Mondays. I was a, a big fan of that show. Oh, thank it was you. sort of, like, relentlessly comedic, like, line to line. Like, it's just joke, 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 in a way that, like, a lot of people don't like that style and don't respond <laughs> well to it. And a lot of, I don't mean viewers. I mean, yeah, yeah. like, writers will object to it. And executives in particular, as someone who, like, I chase. I like to chase down jokes. We'll just go like, "All you're doing is being funny," and like, you're not telling a story. Like, did you? Is that your style? Because it seems like it must be. I would guess is to like really be like this line. I have a joke. This line. I have a joke. Like, were you facing tension being a younger person who wanted to tell jokes from like I call them older scolds who were like you know they position themselves sometimes as story experts, which I think is a bit of fraud. To, because they can't make jokes. Um, but was this at all the issue, or am I just, like, putting my own personal experience on it? You know, it's interesting. Like, I think Groff coming from Conan, you know, and being, like, kind of a stand-up, like, I think he, and I mean, I know now, he he loves jokes, so I think yeah. probably that gave me some cover. Um, we had so many young people in the room that were all such great joke writers that we actually did this podcast with um, Hollywood Reporter recently about how, like, I think 22 or 23 people who were in that room have gone on to run their own show. So, like, we we just Whoa. sort of got... And, and some of that is that we all 
got trained very like well by you know the the older writers in that room and some of it is just that these are were you know 22 naturally like incredible you know joke writers and story people and everything like um and all that sort of came together but yeah like i i was incredibly lucky to have like a great room but then also like there was a lot of younger people who really did like jokes also and and, and then all the older writers and and um i'm sure i'm older than them now than they were then right. you know but yeah. but uh so quote older writers they all love jokes too you know and it's like most comedy writers i feel like they might be like no we got to hit this story point and then the person pitches the really funny joke and they're like fuck we could probably jam that one in there too you know what i mean <laughs> and so we would always you know they called it joke stacking or whatever right but um yeah we yes but from the network we got a constant push on more heart more heart and that for whatever reason i just you know i mean I struggle with that probably in my in my real life of like sort of saying the real thing to people. Um, and so maybe that's why. But then another thing that happened with Happy Endings was like people talked a lot about how like it's cut so fast. Like you were saying joke, 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 joke. A lot of that was like me getting in the editing room and there's six characters and we had a lot of jokes that I really liked. And so I would just pull all the air out of the show just so that we could go joke, joke, joke. And then also there was like a general um, fear of like, oh, what if that joke is like corny? Like, let's just get to the next one and they won't, you know, people won't remember the last <laughs> one, you know, just go very fast. And then I kind of fell in love with that style and, and so of good. editing at least and and uh, tried to tried to keep doing that with the, with the great editors that I would work with going forward. Um, but yes, the, the networks traditionally like, you know, would always want more heart. But what what's interesting about Happy Endings is one of the big things that people always mention to me is the heart of the show, yeah. which is yes. such a strange thing because I will I'll fully admit, like I was pushing against it, you know, um Amazing. to the point where like we landed somewhere in the middle. Like I always felt like, God, we cut so many jokes out of the script after the table read to put in this thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then in editing, I'd try to shorten the emotional moment as much as I could and sneak in a couple more jokes. And whatever that sort of, um, uh, I don't know. Compromise? Compromise, yeah. yeah, was resulted in something where like what people really talk about a lot, you know, they like the jokes, but is the heart too. Although I think a lot of that is, and it's the thing I'm sure you guys as writers always want to scream when you're handing in scripts and getting that note is like, the actors are gonna act that yes. thing, right? Yes. And that's what that's what happened is like these six people also were all the actors were really young and we were all became friends and none of us yes. had I mean one of us had kids I think at that point, um, but otherwise like most of us weren't married, didn't have kids. Like we would go out. I mean I it's shocking to remember like we would go after shooting on a Wednesday go watch the show at a bar together, which awesome. is like. I can't even imagine going anywhere after yeah. a day of production now except home, you know? But, uh, yeah. Or, like, yeah, talking so we were... to the staff. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. A couple of things there. Well, first of all, going yeah. out after your shows, that's the cast party, right? right. Yes, that's the yeah. cast party. Okay. Yeah. I had to get that pun yeah, in there. Yeah, I please, warned the please. other two I was going to do that. But uh, I heard You re- foresaw that exact moment? Yeah, yeah. I knew it was coming. Yeah. I knew God, I'd have well, a chance. We were waiting yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I sure have, a, I have a syndrome <laughs> yes. of punning. No. Um, but uh, there, somebody told me, and I can't remember, I think it was maybe Rich Appel, there, that uh, a great hack for network notes in terms of like, we need more heart, we need more heart. A fantastic hack for this, and I can't believe that the, more people don't do it, maybe they do, is you put it in the stage directions. So then the executives can read, you know, you'll say like, 
uh, you know, Matthew shakes Jonathan's hands and they exchange a look knowing that their friendship has been resolved. You know, like oh, if you put it in the stage directions, oh, yeah. it fools the executives into thinking like, oh, they've got the heart in here, but it's not really in the executives script. Executives listen to this podcast. So well, now that's they know okay. This. <laughs> that's fine. But, yeah, when I was at it. Sony, there was... It. It always seemed like after the act break, they would say like, but then what happens? And so you'd have to add a sentence like after the big funny thing, you'd be like, and they share a knowing look. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. But by the way, like it's not even really is a cheat that much because it, it then they do play the moment in the in the show and it works. Correct. And I think a lot of times like the, you know, the acted sort of heart moment tends to be a little feel even realer than the than the them saying it kind of out yeah. loud, you know? Um but I don't know. I mean I and um, this is, will be the most unpopular thing said on your podcast, but <laughs> I possible. largely have had very good experiences with all the creative execs on my shows. Like oh, I have we can really that. had we can that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I really haven't had uh those nightmarish uh, situations. Obviously, I get notes that I don't agree with or whatever, but I, I haven't had a lot of situations where it's like I don't agree with the note, and they're like, "No, you have to put this in." Or yeah. um, um, no, they don't. Times, they just take your show away. They don't <laughs> tell you that. You I've had that happen. But what you guys say, I think I've heard you say on this podcast that I do agree is like a lot of times there is something maybe not working in that moment in the script or show or something. And, and maybe the note is not exactly what it is, but like you go in back and you dig into that area and you find something completely else that strangely like satisfies their note. And you feel like the script is better afterwards. Um, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, no, no, that's, that's not a wildly unpopular opinion. Even on this show, I think that, you know, we, we acknowledge that uh, oftentimes we have, great relationships with the executives that work on the show, especially like at a place like family guy that's been on for so long, because I think now they realize that, you know, it's just like, let's just let them do what they want. And so if there is ever a note, we know, Hey, they give like three notes a year. So maybe we should listen to these. Um, it, it, it works out, uh, nicely in that regard. I want to, uh, talk for a minute about, uh, marry me. Cause yes. I really enjoyed, that show, I know that was you referred to like your one of your one and dones. Um, and I watched a very funny clip of you at Paley Fest um, talking about the show. You were on stage with Casey and Ken talking about the show, and it, you were kind of talking about how the show came to be or the you know the genesis of the show. And you started talking about yeah, you know, in your in your married life, how you'll have like a knockdown drag out argument with your wife. And the audience was like silent. And so you kept talking about it and you kept turning to the audience being like, this happens to you guys, right? Like I'm not alone in this. Right. And they were giving you nothing. And it was like, they were just letting you scramble there on stage. But I've also had this thought because I can, I'm here to tell you, yes, that is something that I can relate to um, very well. And I think that, you know, you can make hay out of stuff like that if anyone needs hay anymore. But (laughs) so do you think that trying to delve into that was something that would maybe a little too challenging for audiences? Or do you just attribute the show going away to like, well, it wasn't scheduled right. And, you know, they they kind of fucked us on a few things. Or do you think that the, the subject matter was a little bit too... Uh, close to the bone for some people. <laughs> I mean, it was 
on NBC, so it wasn't, you know, scenes from a marriage, although right, I, right. I, I haven't seen scenes from a marriage, but I'm assuming it, that yeah. that is much realer it's than, it's yeah, than, than this, you know, this, we were trying to make jokes, um, I don't know, but by the way, talk about a show going away, or like, that's not even one and done, that's, there's two episodes of that show that they literally at the end were just like, we can't pay to finish them. You know what I mean? Like, and they were edited and done. Like, so they were finished, but like to literally the money to, they were like, because you're canceled, we're we're just not even going to like do whatever the final thing is that puts those shows. um, Like you can't get the last two episodes even on iTunes or anything, I think. Um, and We're and, not and even they... going to tell you to take the jokes out. I mean, that's how <laughs> yeah. over it we are. I, I should have known when they're just like, put them all in. This episode can be 45 minutes long. Um, oh, that's that's how I've always found out I was canceled, was the, the huge laughter and wild indifference to my taste. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I can never know why... Look, I'm always like shocked anything even gets on the air and yes. like I'm shocked that I get to be a writer for a living and everything and and um I don't know. I I'm never like, well, it, it's someone's fault or something happened why it didn't work. I'm I mean, the first thing I'm always like it's my fault and then then yeah. I would only get past that to like it just didn't work. They mostly don't work. You know, I mean, I don't know. 99% of them seem to just not work. So I yeah. I now don't even go into it anymore thinking like, this is going to break through and be the bear. You know, I'm always just right. like, I hope we can just get to keep making them because I like so many of these people that I get to work with. Um, yeah. I don't know. I do remember seeing an early review of that show because it opened with this thing that I thought was funny, which was like uh, Casey and um, Ken had been together for like, uh, seven years or eight years or something, and he hadn't proposed. And it was kind of coming off of Casey and I had not been together that long, but you know, dating for a while, and it was time to make that decision anyway. But and you had told your wife, "I need to know where this is going." Right? <laughs> yes, and I said, "I love you, and and we need to get married immediately." Uh, but no, that they had been together for seven years. He had not proposed, and he planned like this big proposal when they got home from this trip. But she thought it would have happened on the trip, so they walk into the room. She freaks out that he didn't propose, and as she turns around and starts yelling, he gets the ring out and gets down on one knee, but then she, like, explodes, and, I mean, it's kind of yeah. very uh, TV, of course, that she never turns around or catches a glimpse in, a, in the fridge or anything, but, like, she goes on and on, like, tearing him apart and tearing his family apart and tearing his friends apart without turning around, and then she finally turns around sees that he's on one knee, and um, he then proposes, and then he says, everybody come out, and that his his whole family yeah. um, and friends and everything were hiding joke. in the apartment to, yeah. to witness it, which I thought was just like a funny farce thing. Um, but one of the first reviews I read, and I get this, was like was that like to see um, a woman like that upset that she's not married and angry oh. about not being proposed to, and felt like a trope from like you know I don't know forever ago as far as like right. women obsessed with married and stuff like that. And I really wasn't right. trying to write it from like a she's obsessed with married standpoint. Like it seemed like a funny argument that that a couple could get into, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so uh, talking about um, if like what what downed the show, uh, maybe it was that like just being like yeah. obsessed with marriage at a time when it's like. It's um, always something like that, right? Where you don't know what is not acceptable at that moment in time. And I think that happened to dads, too. 
right? Oh, a, like, lot, a lot happened. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to get into that. Right, That's but, a, a completely different podcast. But yeah, like you were, how are you to know at that moment in time, something had snapped in the like feminist lexicon of like, no, what makes you think that all women are obsessed with marriage? And suddenly your television show <laughs> becomes the voice of I love your impersonation of, of women. <laughs> Well, that being said, if if you put that on a stage, having just seen Peter Pan Goes Wrong, if you perform that in a theater, it they would, would go be running shit. for right. 20 years as yeah. the world's funniest play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I can tell you as a viewer, I watched your that pilot and that exact moment you're talking about made me a fan of that show. Like I was just like, mm, I thought you. that was so funny and well done. And like it was it. It, it wasn't that it was a trope to me about like women wanting something. It was just a really solid like joke with an ensemble, like to pay right. it off with the family coming right. out and the friends going. after they had just been trashed. Like I, I just, I loved that. So mm, I can say from, from my uh, perspective, I thought that was hilarious. And now a little more sweetness here as we're, you know, you've been very generous with your time. We appreciate you being on the show with us. And I can just say that, you know, talking to you and, and and having you on the show, you're someone who's a few years younger than we are, but have somehow managed to be someone who I, certainly I look up to as a writer. Like that I know when, not true when at all. it is Thank absolutely you, true. Come on. I, <laughs> no, you no, guys are is... both known as the funniest writers in town. I, I, I was nervous to come on. By who? Let's yet to meet yeah. these people. Yeah. Um, but no, you are someone who I know when you are associated with something that it's going to be funny and it's going to be uh, smart and well thought out and that you are someone who creates and that is, you know, something that ultimately as a writer is is really the goal. So congrats to you and and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We love talking with you. Yeah. That's so sweet. I mean, thank you. I really am such a big fan of both of you guys and I really did, uh, JC can attest probably, you could tell in my text was like, kind of trying not to do it like from the no. beginning and then also was kind of like yes well I was out of town for for a month and then I was like I when I come back I'll 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 you know we'll try to find a time and then I did sort of like was like hopefully maybe maybe they they'll forgot. just forget about it you <laughs> no. know I, I just would rather listen than be on it I'm just like uh you know uh such a fan of the podcast and you guys do such a great job I think in the same way that like we were saying we didn't know writing was a job when when uh, we were younger, you know, because things like this didn't exist, you know, and you guys do such a great job of like, I don't know, demystifying it and showing what it like really is, you know, and that it's like sometimes because I, I really do. I'm frustrated 99% of the time that I'm writing yeah. a script. And then I really do have that 1% at the end that where I'm like, wow, this like feels like it's working. That feels so good, you know, and and um, and I think you guys do a great job of sort of talking about that so that people don't feel like it is you talked about the painter throwing the paint against the <laughs> the canvas as music plays like that's not it usually right yeah. you know and it's right. like it's um i don't know it's nice i think for people to hear that like i mean yes there's the aaron sorkins of the world and and um i guess taylor sheridan wrote that uh, stallone show in 20 hours or something like that but oh, but i think you know most people you're, you're sitting there and you're grinding it out and it takes forever and and you really think it's bad and and um i don't know it's nice for people to hear that i think you know 
Well, that's very nice of you. And please keep grinding it out because the stuff that you grind out is just great. So oh. again, thank you for being here today and uh, hope to enjoy see you your in hair. Person. Yeah, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy your hair. It looks fantastic. And yeah. uh, uh, hopefully we'll see you in person real soon. All right. Thank you so much, guys. I'm such a fan. I appreciate it. Thanks, David. Thank right. you. Oh, all right. Wow. We love David Cast. Yeah, what a nice great. guy. What a nice, talented gentleman. <laughs> Jewish gentleman. Gentle hoss. Too gentle. handsome to be a writer. I know. I was going to, yeah. He should yeah. be an actor. Yeah. Um, and the next week, we're excited, too, because next week, we're going to be talking to Damien Fahey. Yay. Yes. Oh, yeah. TRL's Damien TRL. Fahey. And, <laughs> and now Family, family Guy's yes. Damien Fahey. We love him. We can't yeah. wait to talk to him. Uh, but now we're going to get into a portion of the show we like to call Top Five. Top Five. Oh, beautiful. And <laughs> see what I just did there? I whispered. Oh, Jason. foreshadowing. <laughs> tell us about the Top Five this week. It was your category, and I loved it. Very creative category. Okay. It's uh, difficult. It was difficult for me to find the answers, but it's Top Five Words to Whisper. Yes. Okay. Love it. All right. Love it. So, um... Just going to go for it. Number five. It's sort of like an homage to the cheeky, petty Gwyneth Paltrow when she won her case and she said, I wish you well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they can be phrases too. Yeah, I, well, there's some that are just words, but because yeah. I, yeah, I think I had said words are phrases, but I wasn't sure. So got it. Okay. It was too well. difficult for me, so I just went with words, so <laughs> phrases. So this one, number four. Is um, Stu and I say this when we're like in a crowd or just whenever we'll say, Excuse me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's great. Excuse me. Uh, number three is Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> uh, so satisfying. <laughs> number two, these ones are a little less, you know, whatever, whatever the word is. This number two is. I'm sorry. You know, so yeah. it's like everyone wants to hear that. That especially is a if like, less whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and this is even less. Number one is, I love you. So. <laughs> nice. Very right. sweet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Goldie, what are you going to whisper? Number five. Taboo. Oh, taboo. <laughs> yes. It's taboo. Yeah. I can't tell you it's taboo. That's really good. Number four. Yahtzee. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, she had an abortion. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Number two, I have diarrhea. <laughs> yes, we have overlap. <laughs> and the number one thing to whisper to anyone, shut up. Yeah, that's really good. Shut yes. Shut, shut up. Shut the fuck up. I actually shut had sh shut the fuck up. <laughs> Those are great. All right. Here are my five whispered words and Goldie right off the bat. We have uh, overlap with my number five, which was also diarrhea. <laughs> oh, nothing better than overlap diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> and number four. Sex. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I was leaving that to you guys. And number three is hi. What? <laughs> what is it? Oh, hi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hi. 
number two, and this is taking from a movie that apparently you guys are too busy to see. Rosebud. Rosebud. From Citizen Kane, which I think just sticks with me. It's the first line of the movie and it sets everything in motion. Weird. Okay, yeah. So do do that again and I'll I'll be in the movie. This is okay. when I remake okay. the movie. Okay. Okay. Rosebud. What? <laughs> <laughs> and then then big credits say the end. Yeah. I think we just wrote a family guy TV gig. That's a go. good one. That'll get Gen Z on board. <laughs> and and number 1 and this is a little strange and I I am uh not ashamed to say that I've done this and it's crazy. If you whisper your own name in the dark, it is very creepy. <laughs> like if uh, be, I just remember lying in bed one time and going, Alec, and then immediately being terrified, like I would just watch The Shining. So, did I tell you about when I took that actors' movement workshop? That was maybe a cult. And um, so I was paired for this exercise with this guy Vincent, who was a very New York Italian guy who had. I guess he had been the kid in the movie Cadillac Man. Oh. Uh, And he was trying to be a stage actress. And the exercise that we had to do was one person would lie on the floor and the other person would kind of sit and kneel above them. You would both place your hands on each other's hearts. Oh, Look into each other's eyes and no. say the other person's name for <laughs> 10 minutes, no. alternating oh back and forth. How uncomfortable. Vincent. Jonathan. Vincent. Jonathan. Vincent. Jonathan. And it was fucking awful. What is the purpose uh, of that exercise? It's because as an actor, and in, in movement particularly, and in these loony things, you're supposed to break down all your emotional barriers because then, you, you know, theoretically, you're able to give an audience oh. the full range of your emotions because you don't have any blockages. You don't have okay. anything intellectually standing in your way of giving your unvarnished humanity. Oh, you're you're cool. trying to avoid your thinking mind and go in your emotional mind. That being said... No one can do it, particularly like two 25-year-old heterosexual males in 1996. Well, that's funny, Goldie. And you may be selling yourself short because... um, As heterosexual? (laughs) (laughs) Because I think it worked a little bit. I, I have observed over the years that of all the writers who like get to act in things, I think you are head and shoulders above the rest why thank you i appreciate it and i will uh just give a shout out to william esper who he's passed away but my acting coach who uh, i went to a real theater acting school for two years i didn't do like comic acting for comics i did like william esper was for theater people gretchen mall studied with bill esper gordon lightfoot (laughs) what and and don't don't think that he wasn't above referring to bill hurt as one of his clients. Oh, Bill Hurd, a uh, famous alum of my high school. I met yeah. him. He came to one of our school plays. You know, Bill uh, would, he, you know, he would he would casually drop a bill. You know, how people do about Robert De Niro. You know, when yeah. Bob, you know. Yeah. Bill. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so. All right, so the top five next week. And this, I have to give a shout out to our, our great friend, Scott Holroyd. Yay. Who loves the show and was, he said, laughing uncontrollably at Goldie's uh, flap stuff from terms of endearment (laughs) 
because uh, there's a character in that movie named Flap Horton, and Goldie just cannot get over that. So here's the top five. Take for any week. Oscars back. <laughs> yeah. Do they he have Oscars nominated. for that movie? Oh, yeah. It won actor, actress, director, oh my God. picture. Actor, actress, director, picture. <laughs> Take Sweep. them back. Sweep. So top five next week is going to be top five movie character names. Oh, and that great. was what Scott had suggested. I think it's going to be a fun one. It's great. Um, so we'll do that next week and talk to Damien Fahey. But now let's end the show as we always do on a high note. <laughs> Thank you, Tom and Max. And Tom, we've reached out. We want you back. So yes, Tom, please. we're going to set that up soon. I'll, I'll quickly do my high note. My high note is therapy. I love my therapist, Aww. and uh, I I just really feel like with each session that I have, there's just a, I'm noticing enough movement. I won't even say change, movement Shift. of my feelings, wow. uh, and and this guy is totally responsible for it. He's awesome. He's made me feel better about myself. Percentage points better about myself. So therapy, Doctor Bruce Elman. Uh, he's the man. Thank you so much. Can I go? Because it sort of yeah. ties into what you sure. said. Yeah, 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 of course. So I was uh, surfing yesterday, and you know, I, I'm fully cognizant and self-aware of how you know the 50-year-old guy who has revelations while surfing is a little bit of a you know boring trope. And no, nevertheless, no. I no. persisted. Uh, <laughs> but so you know, I'm out there, and and I'm I'm terrible. Um, but, you know, I enjoy it. But so yesterday, for some reason, I, I, I inched forward on my board, maybe like an inch and a half. And it pushed the nose down just enough that all of a sudden I was in every wave and staying ahead of every wave. And it made me realize, like, all the practice I'd done, it, like, unlocked everything else I had done where now I was in the pocket of every single wave in a way I'd never been before just by wow. this, like, very simple shift that I, I only noticed because it... I didn't do it on purpose the first time, but then I was like, oh, I got that one. What was different? The nose was a little more in the water. And it's like yeah. just that awareness that, you know, sometimes you think I have to change so much. I have to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like maybe you only have to move like an inch and a half. Yeah. yeah. And wow, then they are all really the other stuff you're doing, like all of a sudden all the pop-ups I was doing and all the other yeah. stuff I was doing, like it came into play and it worked beautifully. And I was like, oh, I just advanced like a huge step. Wow. That's awesome. By doing something by accident and then just kind of observing it. And, and really, uh, it only being an inch and a half difference. Yeah. That's also, like, that's crazy. Uh, that's what I, believe <laughs> me, I had that thought. <laughs> you both you looked up like, who's going to say it? That's it. Those are great high notes. Um, my high note is Stu and I went to lunch before he left for tour, and uh, it was like middle of a work day. And because we're slow, because of the strike... I noticed for the first time since I moved out here to LA in 2019, for the first time, I wasn't stressed out. I realized I wasn't in fight or flight. I was just like, we were laughing and it just felt so light. I'm getting actually really emotional about it. Um, and I realized that this is the one benefit of this strike for me personally. Yeah. Like, yes, it's stressful. It's a really hard time. And I, you know, I'm concerned about my fellow friends who are struggling through this, but it's made me realize how 
you know, I, I don't have to be so stressed out about work. I can prioritize my mental health over stupid work. You know, like wow. work is important, but <laughs> Alex, your boss. <laughs> Alex, JC, like, wow. we need you to record Seth Green, and then we got Mila Kunis lined up, and he's just got to do. Uh, no, that's great. That's great. I, I can I, they were can I ask you a, a follow up question, JC? Sure. Um, did you guys split the check? <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Was Stu wearing UFOs? Uh, never. Ufos. <laughs> Inappropriate for an outdoor lunch. <laughs> Even an outdoor lunch. Um, all right. Well, that was a very fun episode. A lot yeah. of laughs today. Um, Thank you all for listening. Thank you two for being awesome. And we will talk to you again next week. Never. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun. And it stops right now. Aged, raven-like talons.